One of the things that we've come to be used to because of technology is just how instantaneously we get our news, right? Uh, it's kind of amazing, actually, that places that years ago it would have taken weeks to get a message back, uh, years ago, centuries ago, it would have taken, you know, uh, weeks to get messages back and forth. Now we can get images almost instantaneously. If there is a flood in Japan or Thailand or Brazil or something like that, we can see it on our news as it's happening. And it really does, um, it changes who we are a little bit. That instantaneousness, uh, instantaneity, I'm not sure the way to say that. But, you know, the fact that it's instantaneous is something that we're um, kind of bombarded with. But it's also something that's kind of nice. I don't know about you, but we, we don't like waiting, right? Um, uh, we see this with, uh, it cracks me up now, um, when we watch election results, particularly places that are still counting paper ballots, right? Like I'm, you know, sometimes I just, people are sitting there hitting the refresh button, right? On the computer, like, come on, what's taking so long? Why can't we all just push a button on a cell phone and know instantaneously? Why does it take so long to figure these things out? But every once in a while, we get thrown back into a world where we have to wait. And it can be a very helpless feeling. I particularly uh, hate it when I have to wait to find out something that's already happened, right? A loved one um, has, is in the hospital to have a baby and they've probably had it already, but they haven't had time to text you to tell you the baby's here yet, right? And so you're just kind of waiting for that news. Um, maybe the gamblers amongst us have had that experience of buying a lottery ticket and you can't watch the numbers live. And then you're sitting there on your way home from a party going, I wonder if I won. I wonder if I won. This could be worth $300 million, right? And there's like that anticipation in your fingers. Fran and I like to watch um, rugby, the sport of rugby. We like to watch games from New Zealand that tend to happen at 3 a.m. And so we obviously don't wake up to watch them live. We just watch them tape recorded. But then I have to go through the whole day making sure I don't go anywhere where something might ruin the score. And it builds this anxiety in me. I want to know what happened. I want to know the results. And those are all kind of silly examples. But sometimes um, they get a little more serious. That feeling when you've taken the interview and the boss has probably decided whether they're going to hire you or not, and you're sitting there by the phone waiting for it to ring or for the email to pop up. Um, some of you had this experience. You've taken the pregnancy test, but those tests just you know take a good five or six minutes to work for some reason, and you're literally holding in your hand the result of whether or not you're a parent. You cannot change the hormones that are on this stick, right? But they are going to tell you whether or not you're about to have a baby. Um, some of us, uh, maybe you've sent off the blood work, and you're just waiting for the hospital to tell you if you're still in remission or not. Right? These are all moments where we are desperate to know the answer. And we are desperate to find out what is the truth of this situation. Uh, today we're going to talk about someone who is in one of these desperate moments. He has a problem. He's looking for a resolution. 
And it's, it's kind of sneaky. The Bible doesn't make it super clear to us. But if you read the details, you can see that there is a period where he lives between the result happening and him knowing for sure that it has happened. Right? It's that desperate tension of what is the result of this. Uh, we're going to read in John 4. Uh, John 4, verse 46. All right. Old enough, I have to pull this up a little bit here. 446. Once more, he, that being Jesus, visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When the man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and he begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told them, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. I find this interaction very interesting between Jesus and the man. Uh, the man is definitely excited to see Jesus. Um, there's some distance here. He lives in Capernaum. Jesus is in Cana. You wonder if the man has been like following Jesus around, right? He gets to a town. He goes, is Jesus here? And they're like, oh, he just left yesterday. And he's like, well, which way did he head, right? Like he's trying to chase him. It's not like Jesus is updating his Twitter feed with where he is that day. So they've got to figure out where, this, where Jesus is. And he has the son who is sick. And he will wait through any line or go through any distance he's got to go to get there. Uh, some of you guys know that I was at New York Comic Con this weekend. And there were lines, lines and lines and lines and lines to see stupid stuff that even I don't care about, right? Just all kinds of nerddom that's even beyond my nerddom. And you would go through the convention center and there'd be no room to move. And there'd be people in lines and stupid costumes and they'd be like, dude, don't cut in line. I had one guy get real like abrupt with me like, the line's back there, man. And I was like, chill. I don't want to see your stupid video game, okay? I'm just trying to walk. But, you know, people are just obsessed. Like they want to see whatever they want to see. And you can just imagine with how desperate we get to see silly virtual reality computer game stuff. How desperate would you be? What kind of line would you wait through to get a chance to talk to Jesus about your sick child? And so this man goes to great extents to see Jesus. And Jesus' response is surprisingly flippant to me. Jesus is like, ugh, again? Jesus says, you people, if you don't get miracles, none of you are going to believe. Uh, apparently, Jesus is tired already. We're in chapter 4 of whatever, 18 or 19 chapters, right? And he's already exhausted. He's like, everywhere I go, everybody wants a miracle, right? I imagine um, the way mothers feel at the end of their day. No more juice boxes, no more yogurt, no more water, Go to sleep, right? All day long, all you want is stuff from me. And Jesus is feeling this way. People are coming to me and they want stuff all the time. And Jesus has made very clear. We've mentioned this many times. Jesus is very clear throughout his ministry. It's talked about in Mark. It's talked about in Luke. It's talked about here. There are times where he says, I didn't come to do this miracle stuff. I am not a dog and pony show. I am not here just to do fancy stuff for you. I'm here to preach a message to you. And somehow I preach the message, it gets ignored, and I heal you, and then you go away and you're not even thankful for it. And he's just done. 
And so this man comes and says, my child is sick. And Jesus is like, oh, another one of these. And it's interesting that the man just persists nonetheless, right? He begs. He's like, Jesus, I don't know what you're talking about, but I know that my boy is sick. Please heal him. It's a moment where his desperation cuts through and it's almost as if Jesus is reminded of the humanity of the situation, right? Uh, we have a tendency to get a little callous, right? Um, well, there's been a lot of talk this week with the mass shooting in Las Vegas, right? That these things seem to affect us less and we get over them faster because they happen so much that you just get, you just get numb to it. And Jesus has been dealing with shriveled hands and lame people and blind people and sick people day in and day out for months. And apparently he's just gotten a little callous to it. But this man breaks through and by his begging says, this is still really important. And Jesus response to him is, you know what? You're right. It is important. Um, so Jesus says that he'll heal the boy. Uh, he says, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with news that the boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judah to Galilee. All right, there's a really cool word here that makes this man very helpful for us in our faith. Uh, and that word is yesterday. All right, let's just like parse this out. It's very easy to look over this detail. But what we have is uh, a man comes to Jesus. He says, I need, I need my son healed. He begs him. And at about one o'clock, Jesus says, your son is healed. And then we're told he left. The story doesn't mention it explicitly, but the yesterday makes obvious that there is some night, right? He goes, travels, and at some point he stops for the evening. Um, maybe he kept moving, but he probably stops for the night, right? And there's an overnight period, and then the next day the servants get, catch up to him. And they go, oh yeah, he was healed yesterday. Do you think the man slept at all that night? What's that feel like? Right? Like, what is it like for Jesus to say, your son is healed, but it's going to take you another day before you find out if it's really true or not? This is the amazing, the, the cool thing about this story is that evening is the way we live so much of our lives. God makes us these promises Though God's word tells us that these things are going to happen and that God is going to fix the world and that there's justice and peace and happiness and beauty and all of those kinds of things. And so often, us hearing that word from God and us experiencing that word from God are separated by at least 24 hours, right? And often we live in the night between. And it's just a fascinating question Did he sleep? Did he rest? Did he have hope? The Bible says apparently that he believed him. Would you have believed him? Would you have been able that night to get a good full night, full night's sleep going, well, my son's all right now, so I'm okay. 
Or would you sit there in bed and ask yourself, I don't know. Is he really okay? Did this really happen? Um, this is uh, it's a very helpful thing for us. Uh, we're going to move into uh, theology talk here for just a minute. Uh, this helps describe for us something that theologians talk about a lot, which is um, the difference between realized and unrealized eschatology, right? That sounds like really big words. Eschatology, just a Greek word that means the study of the end times, right? Or end things. Eschatos just means last. And so um, we have this problem in Scripture. The Scripture often talks about two eras of history, right? It talks uh, about the present age, what the world is like right now, where we suffer and we have sin and death and all these terrible things. And then there is the coming age, the, um, the new heavens and the new earth, what life will be like when God makes things right, what Jesus calls the kingdom of God. And that is a place that's happy and beautiful and, you know, Leopards and sheep sleep together and they don't eat each other anymore and all that kind of stuff, right? And there's a disconnect, a breakdown for us because often we hear these lovely things and Jesus says the kingdom of God is near, but then we still experience the death and the suffering and all that stuff. And the way that we kind of have been able to describe this and the way it helps is that um, the Bible overlaps these periods. Um, and so we have Jesus coming, which is the beginning of the age to come or the kingdom of God. And then we have a consummation of that kingdom when Christ returns, when he comes um, to bring in the kingdom in full. And it, in the in-between, we experience what theologians call the already but not yet kingdom. Right? And here's what we mean by that. Um, when we have an already but not yet kingdom, uh, there is still war in the world. But because of the teachings of Jesus and the actions of the church, there are experiences of peace that we wouldn't have unless we saw the kingdom breaking into our world, right? People still get sick and still have death. But there are these moments where God heals people and brings salvation to someone who's having physical trouble. And we see the kingdom breaking in in that way. One day in the kingdom to come, there will no longer be any poverty or hunger. Yet we still see hunger, but that's greatly alleviated because Christ through the church provides incredible breaking in of the kingdom where we relieve those problems for people. And that is the period we live in. This is all very fancy theological language to say this is what it is like to live in the night between your son is healed and the servant saying your son is healed. And it's an important thing for us to get used to. Because if you spend all your time thinking about the coming age, you eventually will get disillusioned because it's not come yet. What's the problem? What's taking so long? But you also will get very hopeless if all you ever think about is the present age. If it's like, well, this place is busted and it's going to be busted forever, then there's not a whole lot of hope for life, right? And the trick is living in between. A lot of the New Testament is people who are overemphasizing how broken the world is or how fixed the world's going to be. This is the Thessalonians problem, right? They'd quit their jobs because, hey, Jesus is going to come back, so I don't need a job anymore. They're overrealized in their eschatology. They're too much in the age to come. Whereas other people are saying, hey, let's just do whatever we want uh, let's live however we want. Let's be sexually immoral and let's steal because this whole place stinks anyways. And they're under-realized in their eschatology. 
This is something that for Christians is really hard, is how do you live dealing with the reality around you, but also with the hope that you have of what's coming? And how do we break in that hope into the current spot? How do we live in that night between? Um, let me try to make this maybe a little more practical now. Um, do you ever have moments that you just get like pits in your stomach and you just get really anxious? Um, for me, that is when I see this, right? The three dots in the text message. Uh, I think I've said this before from the pulpit. If you want to torture me, uh, send me a text that goes, hey, Caleb, we need to talk about something. And then just let those little dots run, right? That will kill me. I mean, it will just knock me over, particularly if it's a church member, right? Like, you know, there's something I just really want to share with you. Okay, what's up? Dots, dots, dots. You know, and then you're like, oh, and it must be a long message. This must be a big deal, you know? Or, hey, I need to talk. Okay, call me back. Well, I have work. I'll call you back in eight hours. Eight hours, right? I don't like living in the night between. That is no fun. Because I am sitting here in my anxiety asking myself, what's next? What's happening? What's going on? And this is what it's like to live in the already and the not yet. This is just this feeling of this burden of let's make this right. Let's fix this. And it shows, honestly, in me, um, just how much sometimes I don't believe God, right? I know that these things should be okay, but until those dots pop up, I'm not going to feel like they're okay. Um, what happens with this man is he comes to a place where he just trusts Jesus. Uh, we sing about this, uh, this impulse. Uh, sometimes we sing oceans, right? It's this classic line. You have never failed and you're not going to start now. You won't start now. Sorry. But anyways, right? Never failed and you won't start now. This man believes that Jesus will not fail him. If Jesus told me my son will be well, then he will. It's interesting. Jesus uses the future tense. I wonder if the man is thinking, oh, I wonder how long this is going to take. Jesus told me he'll be well, but is that like six months down the road? Is that tomorrow? Is that, you know, 10 years from now? But there's still this hope in him that regardless of what it looks like, Jesus is going to take care of this for me. Um, when we talk about that kind of belief, a belief that can withstand the night between, um, it kind of can sound, it just sounds like really churchy, right? Like, just believe. I always think of the, oh, this is a tangent. Do you remember the um, Prince of Egypt movie, right? Uh, who knows what you can do if you just believe, right? Mariah Carey and... Um, Whitney Houston belting out about like the power of positive thinking basically and it's like hey guys just believe and it's going to be okay and I feel like sometimes it, it, that's how it feels when we talk about someone who has this kind of faith um, let me give three practical ways that you can have faith and believe in these night betweens uh, the first one is yes that slide um, the first one is just remember what you believe about the world generally, right? Um, if you believe that there is a God who created the cosmos, which most uh, people in this room, I think, do, fixing your problem really isn't that big of a deal, right? Like, it's very easy to get stuck in your own moment of your own issue. You're like, this is so hard. How will God do this? And it's like, 
he created the universe, okay? You know, like putting together the Milky Way was probably slightly more difficult than helping you find a job. Not that I'm trying to belittle how rough it is to find a job and how it feels, but ultimately, right, like God can handle the bigger stuff. Jesus uses this logic sometimes with the Pharisees, right? He says, I'm going to forgive these people's sins. And they're like, well, why do you have the right to forgive sins? He goes, all right, what's harder for me to do? To forgive somebody's sins or to fix this guy's legs? And they're like, well, the legs would be harder. And he goes, okay, boom, legs fixed. Now do you believe I can take care of their sins, right? Like he's like, I will do the harder thing to prove to you I can do the lesser thing. And so if you're a believer and you believe the universe has been created by God, if you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, if you believe he you know, parted the Red Sea and saved the Egyptians out of, or Egypt, saved the Israelites out of Egypt, right? You believe things that are way harder than whatever it is that you're concerned about. And so some of it is just remembering like, oh, this is within God's realm of possibilities, right? The second thing is to rehearse uh, the things that God has already done. This is what the Psalms do over and over and over again. God, this is so hard, and I don't know if you're going to save me, but, you know, you did it for the, uh, you did it for us when we were in Egypt. You did it for me. Uh, David talks about when I fought the lion and I fought the bear. You were there and you protected me. Like, you just go through and you start making a catalog. These are all the ways that God has come through for me right now, so far. And if that's his character and that's how he's treated me before, he's going to keep on doing it. And so some of this is remembering the past deeds of God's power and God's might. Uh, and the final thing is just remember, don't over-exaggerate the promises, okay? This is one of these things that we can kind of get into trouble with when we talk about the night between, is that we hear a promise and we make too much of it. Uh, this is a passage that, you know, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've heard abused in some way or the other. Uh, this passage, classic passage in Romans, um, uh, where Paul says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to this purpose. Now, here's the way I understand this, the Caleb translation. If you are a believer, then God can take your lemons and make them into lemonade. All right. If you are called according to his purpose, if you are believing in Jesus, then God can take the bad stuff in your life and bring something good out of it. He can always find a silver lining in that cloud for you. The way people read it is, I'm never going to have anything but blue skies and rainbows, right? And so something difficult comes along and they go, oh, this isn't a good thing that you made for me. And Paul would say, excuse me, I said he will work all things towards good, not that everything he, that happens is good, right? These are these little technical promises. Uh, Jesus uh, will talk about, you know, I'll answer any prayer that's asked in faith, Right? And then we test God, and we're surprised that he doesn't answer a testing prayer when Jesus talks about prayers that are given in faith, right? Uh, there's all these little ways in which the Bible says one thing, and we try to make it another. And it's just, this is important as we talk about this, because we'll often say, well, God said that this would happen. And then if you read the Bible, you go, no, that is not what God said. You cannot hold him accountable for promises he did not make, but you made up in your own head. And this is just a slight kind of corrective in these moments. When we have these times where we're desperate for God to fix something, where we feel the, the tension of him saying it will be fixed and experiencing it fixed, it is helpful for us to remember he has the power to do it, 
that he has a history of doing it and that he's ultimately going to do what he told you he would do, not what you heard that he would do. And these are all ways that we start to make more practical and real living in the night between. Um, I have no idea. When I preach a sermon like this, I have no idea what's going on in your heads. Um, for some of you, there may be something that you are just desperate to be fixed. Uh, you may have a gripe where you say, God, I thought it was going to be better than this. Um, and I would just ask you to take hope from the centurion uh, or the, the royal official in this story, right? That God makes good promises and he does make good on them. And we have to believe them in the space between the space between when they're promised and when we experience them. Because if we cannot hold those two things in tension, desiring for something to be done that God has promised, but also patient for him to do it in his own way, in his own time, if either of those parts of the string breaks, it all falls down. Because that tension is part of what Jesus is doing as the kingdom of God breaks into our world. All right. Uh, if you're new to us, we do a Q&A at the end of our sermons where you are free to ask questions about the passage, uh, the application, um, uh, words I mispronounced. I don't know. Whatever you have that you would like to ask about, uh, you can do that at this time. It's always an interesting question of like where are those places where God is kind of calling us to bringing it, you know, breaking in the kingdom. You know, where is it where he wants us to sort of accelerate sort of that, that kingdom to come?